Thanks for listening to this sermon from the Image Church. Find out more about us and our weekly services at imagejesus.com. It's amazing we're talking about adoption today because it falls very much into where we're going to be going in the scripture today. If you want to turn to it, we're going to be inside of 2 Corinthians uh, 5, 14 through 21. Um, man, I was just thinking like, you know, when they're asking questions and, and, and Trish was saying, I actually don't. No, I don't have all the answers, right? One of the things that came to my mind was um, I was thinking about a couple friends of mine that have like stepfathers or they've actually been adopted and stuff. And the relationship they have with their father, like they have this I don't care attitude. That's that's my daddy. Y'all get where I'm coming from? Like they just don't care. They're like, that's my father. I don't care if yeah, real father adopted, stepdad, all of that stuff, whatever. They're like, that is my father. And there's this thing where the, it's almost as if the DNA is love, right? Like they've been loved so well and cared for it so well, you can't tell them nothing else, right? And Paul is going to be doing that in the scriptures today. I have my own personal story that's somewhat like this too. When I was younger, um, you know, my mother and my father separated when I was really young. Um, I was one of these kids. I was just like really low self-esteem. Um, always just looking for my father. I was like, man, where's he at? And, 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 you know, so I was calling him all the time. And then when I started getting older, I started realizing if I didn't pick up the phone to call, he wouldn't call me, you know? And so that kind of hurt. Well, my mom remarried. And, and, um, and so she married a gentleman that was a bit older than her and stuff, whatever. So I was hating on him because I thought he was older and stuff, whatever. And, you know, and, I, and he used to wear these horrible shirts from like this... Uh, 60s, I don't know, they're just like crazy or whatever, whatnot. They have like the Wrangler like stuff, and I don't know, it's bad. You know, so his whole style was messed up, is basically what I'm saying, right? Dress game was crazy. And so here's the thing. Man, he came, once he came into our life, he changed everything. He actually got us a house. We used to go on family vacations. All of this stuff we used to do to him. His name was Mr. Staten which should tell you how much I didn't like him by calling him Mr. Staten. That's what I called him, right? And I was like, yeah, Mr. Staten, because I was like, I'm not calling you dad. I have a father, homie. Like, I'm not even trying to hear it. And so he died. He got sick and he got cancer and he died one day. And, um, and I just remember as a little boy, I think I've told this story before, but I remember as a little boy standing at his, um, his funeral and I couldn't believe the amount of people that came to the funeral. Like it was packed out crazy. And so I'm a little boy and I'm shuffling around and I'm listening to all these people tell these stories about how he fed them and all of this stuff. Like, yo, he helped me, came and fixed my car. You know, um, I'm the single mothers or whatever. Like, yeah, I remember he came over, fixed this. He, and I'm listening to all of these stories. And I was a little boy, but I remember being like, crap, I just missed my father. I just missed my father, Right? Let me show you something, all right? 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21 is the text. So Paul says this. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, for those who live, for that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for whom but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You know, when I was reading this scripture, the first thing that popped out in my mind was the love of Christ controls us. 
And then it was this, then, then the next part says, because we have concluded this, right? So I realized there's something that's being said about the Father God that controls them and compels them or whatever, right? And when they say they've concluded, it means that they've actually taken a really hard look at the Father and they've come to a conclusion about him, right? So for my friends that are like, yo, that's my father. You can't tell me nothing else. They've taken a hard look at the stepfather or the person who has adopted them. And the love is so much um, overwhelming. It's crossed over to this point where they're like, no, I've, I've come to a conclusion. That's my daddy. You get what I'm saying? And for me, I slipped up because I didn't take a look and I never came to the conclusion. I never looked into it very, very well. You get where I'm at? So that's the same for a lot of us, even as believers. We've talked about this idea of being an orphan versus being a son and how we see ourselves and how we think God sees us, right? So the scripture goes on to say this right here. Um, well, let me just, let me point out another part. It says, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. When I read this right here, there's a couple of things that, that, that bother me. I'm a little bit too nonchalant and, new, uh, and a little too carefree when I hear the word, he died. Right? We just roll right through it like it's no big deal, right? If I can walk inside a church and be like, yo, somebody's outside in the parking lot making it rain. They got through with hundreds like this right here. Everybody's like, yo, we, all right, we got to go. We all running outside. They're like, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll be right back. Hey, we love you, Jay. Hold on. We got to go. And you dip it, right? You're going to see. We're going to get excited. Like, yo, it was hundreds? Making it rain hundreds? Okay, they out there, free money? We dipping. But this scripture is saying that he died. And then it said he raised, right? And he was raised from the grave. Like, he came up from the grave. And so it leaves me in this place where I'm, like, wrestling with myself. I'm like, God, why does that not prick me the way it should? Like, what is dead inside of me that that doesn't really resonate with me? Like, do I really, really believe what this is actually saying to me right here, right? And then it throws me back to the very beginning of that scripture in verse 14 where it says, for the life, love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. It makes me feel like I need to take a deeper look, right? So we've talked about this, this we, we talked about it before, the idea of being an orphan versus being a son, right? And so... There's a scripture, I believe it's either in John or it's in Matthew or whatever. I didn't put it in there or whatever, but it says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, right? All of us, when we hear the scripture, the first thing we think about is obeying the commandments. Like, we don't even hear the part where it says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, right? We completely skip over that first part because we're so used to thinking like orphans. And, and when we talked about this a while ago, I framed the picture like this right here. When you get adopted, there's this, there's this thing that goes on where you come into the home and you don't really know, like, can I move freely for real? Do I have to, I better move this way or, or they might send me packing, right? You saw when Trish, when the girls came up on stage, they jumped right on her, right? They're all over. They're not trying to figure out if they're orphans or not or if they're adopted or not. They're like, this is... Mama, you get what I'm saying? They, 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 they're walking in freedom. So how do we see Christ in that, that way? Do we feel like we have to 
work on ourselves, get ourselves right, get ourselves good, get ourselves cute? Do we have to self-will and, 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 and try as hard as we can to obey the commandments to be able to come before him freely? Or are we like his children where we can just run inside of the house, drink out a milk cart and be like, Dad, what's going on, you know? I know I'm a little jacked up. Right? My bad. I'm sorry. Let me my feet. What you up to? Man, I miss you. You know? We don't think it. We don't think. We think we're disgusting. We don't think he's going to look like, man, I miss you. Where you been at? Man, you been playing in the dirt. Get, you know what I'm saying? We don't see him like that. That's a problem. That's a problem because that's not what the scriptures are pointing to. It's not what they're saying to us. That's not what he's called us into. So... Let's read the scripture again. I'm going to keep nailing this point home. It says, for the love of Christ controls us. It has control over us. Man, I need to know what that means because I don't know about you, but like, man, I, you know, I got saved or whatever, and, I'm, and, 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 uh, and man, I started following Jesus, and, and I loved it. Everything in my life changed. But I, if I'm going to be honest with you, this there's certain sins I've wrestled with over the years. I swear to you, I've been a guy with about them about 5,000 times. You understand what I'm saying? If not more, just the same sin, repenting, the sin that easily besets me, right? And I'm like, God, what is this? Am I, am I really even saved? Do I love you? Because it doesn't seem, I feel like I'm a traitor. I feel like I'm a backstabber. That's what I feel like. And so... Man, I, I want to know you in a way where your love controls me. I want to stop trying to work so hard to be good. I want to stop feeling like an orphan because it feels like it's killing me. Does anybody, ever, does anybody resonate with that? Right? Sick of working so hard. Can I get lost in this love? Can I be at ease at home in your house? Can I run on stage? Can I run into your presence like the girls just did and just jump on your lap? Right? Can I just do that? And he says, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. So they've, they've looked well into this, and this is where they've come to. That one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So he's doing this thing where he's died, and he's trying to bring us back into relationship with the Father, Right? And the idea is that as we grasp the, 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 what it costs for us to become a part of this family, that we would say, hey, yo, I want a new name. I want a whole new name. I want, I, I want to be all the way in. I want to be all the way into the family, right? But there's this thing where the weight on that is caught up in what we've concluded about them, right? Y'all get where I'm at? There's a weight on it where what have we concluded about him that makes us want to fall all the way in like that? And, 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 and one of the hints here is when he says for their sake. So let me, let me tell you how for their sake works, right? So I got a friend and um, I have a friend that's inside a music business and he's like way, way up in the music business and, uh, and he's more of an acquaintance. Like, I wouldn't call him a friend. I don't be hitting him on the phone like that. But I know him really well. And he's really connected in the music business. And, and he, he's telling me this story one day. He was like, man, I was in the office one day. 
and I got a call from my uncle. So his uncle is like, this is real stuff too. His uncle is like a crime boss in New York, right? And he says, yo, I'm changing some of the words, but the story is actually the truth, but I'm trying to get you to get the point, so just rock with me, all right? I just want to let you know. So the uncle's like, yo, nephew, what's up, man? Say, you know, he said, I'm doing good, uncle. What you calling for? He says, I'm calling for your sake. What do you mean by that? He said, I heard you got a problem. What do you mean by that? Well, there's a murder squad outside in a van waiting for you to get off of work to kill you. Uh-huh. Help me out, uh. What do you mean, right? So his uncle, his uncle explains to him, he says, you basically done, um, you know, you didn't made the wrong people mad, you know. And, uh, and, and the guy was oblivious to what he did or whatever, and, and it was just basically a business deal where he didn't feel like doing something. And, and these guys were like, you know, we don't get told no. And so they were going to kill him. And so the unk, having the power that he does, he makes a phone call. He's like, don't worry about it, nephew. I'll take care of it. And he makes a phone call, handles the situation. The guy's still living to tell the story. Point of the story is this right here. The uncle didn't have to step into that, right? He did it for his nephew's sake, right? We are guilty before the Lord. We have no excuse. The law of God is holy. It's holy because it shows us who it is, who we are, right? It, it, it crushes us. It exposes our sin. So for Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, he did it for our sake, right? Psalms 14, 12 says this right here. There is a way that seems right to a man, but, the end, but, but its end is the way of death. There's, there's this thing where it's like no matter what we do to fix stuff, outside of Jesus, it's going to always end up messed up, right? This means that no matter how many people pat you on the back, no, how many, no matter how many people you feed that are hurting, no matter how many dollar bills you give out to people who are hurting or whatever, no, how, no matter how much you pour your life into saving people or whatever it may be, the end still is death because there's no way by our works we can ever, ever, build up a resume clean enough to step before God and pass it to him like, Lord, let me in. Look what your boy did. You know, I gave away everything. I fed everybody. It's not going to do the trick, right? He died and he was raised for our sake. Does anybody feel the 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 the, the, um, does it hurt anybody that that doesn't poke you? Like, does it mess with your mind at all? This, like, as I, as I work through this scripture right here, how do we read this and it just is that, right? And how does he still love us? Like, why would he still die for us knowing that I just feel so disrespectful when I think about the cross, when I think about his sacrifice, when I think about the love, when I think about when I look at my kids and everything he's done, and when I say that, how there's like this, it's so vague to me, like I can't grasp it or understand it or even completely appreciate it. It makes me feel so unthankful and ungrateful, right? 
But here's the thing. I can't go run off and go work and try to be good to, to make it up. But what I can do is I can start looking into the face of Jesus and start drawing some conclusions about who he is. And after I draw him, then I can keep on looking deeper and deeper and I can draw some more. And I can keep going in deeper and deeper and deeper, right? So it's like this thing where the workspace, we're, 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 we're looking at all these other places to work up our resume and be good. And we're working so hard like, 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 like orphans and not like the sons he's called us to be, right? And so we're like scrambling. But he's like, yo, sit at my feet. Let me lavish this love upon you. Let me overwhelm you with it, right? Because in it, when you see it, you're going to be like, that's my daddy. And some of the mess that we get caught up in, it's going to get so far in the rearview mirror because you're like, I don't got time for it. I'm with daddy. This is the only place I want to be, with daddy, beholding the work he's done on the cross through his son. There's so many things for us to, for, so many ways to look at it. I remember when I first, I told you all this before, when I first met Matt, I thought he was a nutcase because he came inside of my, my store every day talking about Jesus from like a scabillion different angles. And you just be like, just, you know, like Jesus, like, you know, like when you trip and then like you fall and you bust your head, but then comes back up and puts a bandage on you. And I was like, shut up, man. Like, what's wrong with you? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, but, it, but he, that's where he was at with it. He just always was just like working through that thing. He was always working through Jesus and the wonder and, and, and God and everything else or whatever. But then I understand it. It kept him lost in him. It kept him beholding his face. And after a while, I started to adopt the same practices because it's like, man, I never felt like such a son, but, it, but I'll, I feel it when I'm looking at him in the face, when I'm looking at him, right? So good. Verse 16 says, from now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So what being in Christ doesn't look like is us trying to earn our way, right? Let me tell you what it looks like. I'm going to read 1 John 1 to you, right? This is an amplified and it has the commentaries in the middle of it. That's what it looks like to be in Christ. 1 John 1, 5, it says, This is the message of God's promised revelation, which we have heard from him and now announce to you, that God is light. He is holy. His message is truthful. He is perfect in righteousness. And in him, there is no darkness at all. Talking about our Father here, y'all. No sin, no wickedness, no imperfection. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness... Of sin, we lie and do not practice the truth. Let me stop right here. This is where everybody starts to fall back a little bit like, I got sin. Okay, I need to clean myself up in the darkness, and then I'll pop into the light with it. Right? That's how we think. That's how church usually goes. Everybody's smiling, skinning and grinning or whatever. You know, like, hey, how you doing? Bob? Blessed and highly favored in the Lord. You know, that's it. I'm just blessed and dripping in the anointing of the Father. And, and, and know that they about almost beat their wife to death on the way to church. All right, can we tell the truth up here? Then, then curse the wife out. You know how many times I had to apologize during my wife, um, apologize to my wife doing praise and worship? The Lord start convicting me. I'd be like, I 
I'm sorry about what I said. God is good. Please forgive me. Like, man, I done done it hundreds of times. No joke. Straight up and down. You know, start staring at the Lord. He starts throwing that mirror on you, right? But that's how we usually function. Man. I want to say this in a cute way, but I'm going to just say it like this. Man, I'm so tired of the fakeness, right? Do y'all feel like that? I'm so sick of walking into places and dealing with church folks that just like lying all the time. And, and, and just working on the lie, putting all the effort in. Like, you know, you start wondering, like, am I messed up? Am I just jacked up? What's wrong with me? And everybody's just hiding behind, we're good. It's not, it's not what it is. It's a lie. I'm going to read the rest of the scripture to you. I'm going to prove it's a lie. Well, the scripture is going to prove it's a lie. All right, so he says, he is perfect in righteousness, and in him there is no darkness at all, no sin, no wickedness, no imperfection. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness of sin, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we really walk in the light, that is, live each and every day in conformity with the precepts of God, as he himself is in the light, we have true, unbroken fellowship with one another. He is with us and we with him. And the blood, listen to this, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, right? By erasing the stain of sin, keeping us clean from sin in all its forms and manifestations, right? And he says, if we say we have no sin... This is, where, this is where it gets confusing because it's telling you about walking in the darkness, right? So we're like, man, we need to go hide with our sin. But listen to what he's saying. Now he's saying, if we say we have no sin, refusing to admit that we have sinned and confess our sins. Excuse me. Hold on, hold on. If we say we have no sin, refusing to admit that we are sinners, we delude ourselves and the truth is not in us. His word does not live in our hearts. If we freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sins, he is faithful and just, true to his own nature and promise, and will forgive our sins and cleanse us continually from all unrighteousness, our wrongdoing, everything not in conformity with his will and purpose. If we say that we have not sinned, refusing to, the, to admit to the acts of sin, we make him out to be a liar by contradicting him, and his word is not in us. So to be in Christ means to be in the light being cleansed by the blood of Jesus. To be out of the Christ means to be in the darkness with your sins. So basically what, so we're tripping. We're, we're scared to walk into um, our father's house and we tiptoe in or whatever, kind of like acting like we don't belong there. And we're moving like orphans and not sons, right? Because we're like, I kind of slipped up, I, I kind of was messing up a little bit, right? But when we read this scripture, he's not tripping over the sin. He's tripping over the fact that you won't walk in the light with your sin, right? He says, if you say you have no sin, then you're a liar. So how does that work out? The way it works out is that we stop holding on our self-righteousness, stop, stop trying to prove that we are children of God and sons and daughters by our works. Because if you're holding on to your works, you can't dare tell anybody what you've been up to because then you're disqualified, right? 
You know what I'm saying? You ain't as clean as you thought you were, right? But Jesus has no tolerance for that. The Father has no tolerance because he sent his son to die for the fact that you do have sin. So if you are trying to fall back on that, you're now spitting in his face. Does that make sense? We're now spitting in his face, but not coming to the light and, 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 and telling the truth. The word says he died, right? And his, his whole thing was to cover our iniquities. He's like, homie, why are you hiding that, brother? I came to get that. I died for that. I spilled my blood for that. But we think we're going to work it out. And in that, we've made ourselves, our flesh, an idol. Because in that, by thinking we can attain to the law, we call it like we're being good, but we're actually looking to raise our flesh and lift our own selves up and do it in our own strength, right? I'm jumping out of my notes, but last week we were inside 2 Corinthians 4, and we saw where the word says that this power, this power of the power of God is, is placed inside of jars of clay. And the way that it, 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 the, the scripture phrases it, and I'm not hitting it directly, but you get where I'm coming from. The way it phrases it is it says that it was put inside of jars of clay to show that the power is all him and not us. It says it just like that to make sure you know. So this ain't our show in the first place. This ain't about how cute we are. This is about how amazing our God is for we're broken people. How he, how he takes a little bit of just raggedy, wretched people. Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. But then he says, but Jesus. But Jesus, right? So man, we're deceived. So like when we say we're sick of the fakeness and we're sick of being orphans, when we're sick of playing that game, what we're essentially saying is we're sick of being in the darkness. We're sick of acting like we're in the light or working to be in the light. We're sick of not having a community of people that can walk in, don't have to feel shame, can walk in with their sin and say, look, brother, I've been slipping up. And a brother pray for them and come around them and encourage them and lift them up and we link arms. For women to say, listen, girlfriend, I've been dealing with these problems and these issues all my life. And I've handled them like this, 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 and this. But imagine a community where we can come in and we can just, we can confess our sins. And as we're doing it, Jesus comes in like, this is it right here. This is it. And he, and he throws himself completely in the middle of it. Because he says, if you're in the light, my son, Jesus will cleanse you. Right? Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want a father like that? Who doesn't want his last name? Who does not want to be in him? There's a couple things or whatever that I would say almost as a boast about being in Christ, right? We believe that his perfect righteousness will be accredited to us by faith, right? In other words, we, we believe that when we get to heaven, that we're not coming with our resume, but we're coming with Jesus' resume, right? That, that his, his perfect righteousness and his works and everything he did that were pleasing to the Father, we get to walk up with it. And throw ours back over here like, Lord, they, you don't want to look at that. You don't want to look at that. There you go. 
that God's wrath for us was poured out on his son Jesus in our stead for our sakes. That's what it means when we're in Christ for us. That God is revealing himself to us through his son Jesus. As we behold him, we're being transformed. We're seeing the love of the Father, right? It's in, it's in everything Jesus did. We are becoming in relationship, being reconciled to the Father, right? We will live securely in eternal bliss, paradise with the Father God because of Christ, right? And when we're in Christ, we place our faith in Christ Jesus with the forgiveness of our sins. This is an important one. This is an important one. The reason this is an important one is because when it comes to this idea of being an orphan, the game is centered around the way of the forgiveness of our sins and the way our Father forgives us and loves us, looks like, right? So, Pharisees, when they, when they saw Jesus say, your sins are forgiven, they're like, who in the heck do they, who does he think he is? Did he just forgive somebody's sins? And the game is still being played like that till this day. When you walk up and maybe you have a little bit of the old on you, you got a couple of ways or whatever, maybe you do things people don't like and they want to judge you and everything else. When they shake their finger at you, they're saying, who is this Jesus that could forgive somebody like you? That's what they're saying to you, right? Um, there's a story in the Bible about this guy named Simon the Sorcerer, right? Um, Y'all know the story? So Simon the Sorcerer, he was a magician. Well, he's a sorcerer, magician, whatever. He's a witch, basically. All right? And so Simon in the Bible was, um, is there a male word for, for, for witches? Okay, all right. Makes me mad y'all answer that so quick. Now I feel stupid. All right. I knew that one. I just didn't want to say that one. I thought it was another one or whatever. But anyway, this is whatever. Um, so, but anyway, with Simon the Sorcerer, Simon the Sorcerer, um, he, was, he was famous. He had the people, they were just like blown away by him for years. And then, um, I'm not sure who it was or whatever. I feel, it may have been Peter, but somebody came through preaching the gospel. Mad people got saved. He gets saved. He hears the gospel, says, I want to follow Jesus, gets saved, and then they baptize him, right? And um, later on in the scriptures, he, he started seeing how they were laying hands on, on the people or whatever, and he was like, yo, man, give me that gift or whatever, like, you know, I'll pay you for it. And so I forgot, I think it was Peter rebuked him, like, your homie, yo, you're bringing a curse on yourself, bro, like even thinking you can play with the Holy Spirit like that, you know? And, and, uh, and then Simon said, he said, please pray for me that the Lord would forgive me, you know? And so I just bring up that story or whatever because when I read that, it makes me just think about how we would look at Simon and, and in our religiosity, we would be like, it's no mercy for him. It's no grace for him at all. In, the, in American culture, people probably wouldn't even put too much effort in even pursuing a guy like that. You know, we do it all the time. We take Jay-Z and all of these guys or whatever and different stars and, and the Kardashians and everybody else or whatever, and we go ahead and ship them off to hell as if the power of God and his blood doesn't run that deep. So we're so busy trying to stay away when we should be trying to get a seat next to him so we can get in the ear. And it's crazy because you see in the news or whatever, pastors, they start going to church and then people start criticizing the pastors like, what in the world are you doing pastoring these guys? Well, the blood that saved me 
is in full effect. And, and, and Jay-Z, and we're in the same boat. You get where I'm coming from? So this, this hard look that we need to take, this conclusion we need to go, to go into, this looking at Jesus' face, it affects everything. It affects our ministry of reconciliation. It affects where we think we can go with it. It affects where you think, you know, you can stand across the street and you can look at the hood or you can look at whatever it is or whatever and you'll just never go there because you just, you haven't looked deep enough into the blood. You haven't looked deep enough into Jesus' face to know that he can actually go there, right? And I'm not throwing a stone at anybody because I'm guilty of this exact same thing. But we're walking in the light so we can confess our sins and talk about it. And Jesus is going to be here and start pushing us that way, right? So that's why we're going to lay it out in front of ourselves. And so... Verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is a kind of medley of something that Spurgeon said that I wanted to say or whatever, right? He said, a new creation doesn't mean you're perfect or your works are buying you a spot in heaven as some have used this verse. Our affections and desires are made anew, but they aren't saving. Only the blood can wash away our past, present, and future sins. Fact of the matter is this right here. We are saved by grace. And grace means that you get something that you do not deserve. Unmerited favor. Mercy means you do not get a punishment that you deserve, right? And it's by the grace and mercy of God that we are saved. The reason that Spurgeon's comment is so important to me or whatever, because I've heard this scripture so many times where people just take it and they put it on people like a burden. Like you're a new creation. So it's like, act like a new creation, right? Okay, I'm a new creation. You know what I'm saying? I'm good. All right. I don't do any of that stuff. But they didn't tell him that Jesus gave him his resume. Or we're not being pointed to look in Jesus' face to be transformed. So it's like Jesus died on the cross. Be good. That doesn't do nothing before me. What this word says is that as I look deeply into him, and I come into conclusions. As we look at him, it says that we are transformed as we look into the work that he did on the cross, right? It doesn't happen when we're looking away, when we're looking to ourselves. Verse 18 says this. All is from God who through Christ reconciled, means bring your enemies together to us. Excuse me, start over. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Listen to this right here. God was reconciling the world to himself. In other words, this thing where we are enemies of God, he was bringing it together through his son Jesus, right? And it says, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. When he says not counting their trespasses against them, this right here is a free-for-all for us to walk in broken, messed up to a good father who is actually going to cleanse us. You understand what I mean? He's not daddy walking around with the belt looking to tear us up. Right? He's daddy waiting to, 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 to heal us, to renew us, to transform us into a new creation. He's saying come on in with all that mess. Don't hide with it because I can't help you out there and it's going to eat you alive. Come on in with all your mess. So he says, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So not only did he come to do this marvelous thing on the earth for a bunch of people who are dead in their sins, now he actually takes this thing, this marvelous thing that he is doing and then he places on us. 
And he gives us the message to proceed forward with, right? So we are ministers of reconciliation. So we are walking the street looking for people who are enemies of God to tell them the good news about Jesus Christ. It's good news. And the reason it's good news is because their sins are going to crush them lest Jesus' blood covers them. So, hey, when I talk to you, it's like, I need you to wake up. You are you in bad shape, brother. But I got good news. For your sake, Jesus has died and already fixed this. You just got to jump on the boat and ride. You get it? Otherwise, you just wrecked without it. You're in bad, bad shape. I told a story not too long ago um, about a Nigerian guy that he, uh, he was shipwrecked off um, the coast of Nigeria. I believe it was Nigeria. Um, but he was on the bottom of the sea for three days, right? Pitch black. And so the whole crew was killed. Boat went to the bottom of the ocean. This probably happened about two years ago. Boat went to the bottom of the ocean. He ended up in an air pocket. And so three days later, I mean, the guy's literally under, he said that it was the most horrifying thing ever. He said he could hear fish eating other bodies. He could smell other bodies. He was living off of one bottle of Coca-Cola or whatever. Um, and and um, I've done that before. It's not really impressive. I, I do that every now and then. So, But one bottle of Coca-Cola or whatever. And so... And I mean, his skin was starting to come off of him because of the salt water and everything, right? And so, lo and behold, they come down there to, um, to get the bodies. And the guy reaches, and it's actually on, on video, but he reaches out and he, and, he, and he touches his hand, you know? And he's like, oh, my God. And so they end up saving this guy. And so the reason I mention that video is because when I see stuff like that, I kind of try to prick my heart with that dead, from that dead thing where, I'm, where I was telling you earlier, like, man, the fact that he died doesn't always hit where it should. And the fact that he was raised three days later doesn't always hit where it should. So sometimes when I'm trying to understand the depth of my depravity, because I do think I'm good and I do fall into self-righteousness all the time. And, and God is always revealing to me how broken I am when, when I choose to walk in the light. He's showing me myself and it hurts and it hurts. And, and I talk to people like Chuck, who's been in ministry forever and he's way older than me. And God is still doing that with him and his wife till this day, still revealing the depths of that. And this is going to be the recipe as long as you walk in Jesus. Because you have to see how deep in the ocean you are to understand how high he is and to see how far he's come to rescue you. You need to see that for yourself so you can marvel and glory in him and so you can go lavish it upon people with this ministry of reconciliation he's given us, right? You know, one thing I, I don't like for people to say, and I hear it all the time, like I'll tell people about um, my testimony or whatever, and they'd be like, that's amazing, man. I really don't have a testimony like God. You know, I just, um, you know, I just always was good, and, you know, I just started following Jesus. They don't know. When I'm listening to them, I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, I don't understand how you could be living like that and then see the need for Jesus. I think it's a miracle that he opened your eyes. Like, I, I feel like that was, like was even harder you know, so what I'm saying is, we're at the bottom of the ocean with homeboy with this coat, you know, just in bad shape. Three, to, you know what I'm saying? Like, nobody comes back from that one. But we came back because for our sake, he died. All right? Close with this right here. It says, um, well, I had a note here. 
says our job isn't to throw rocks, it's to throw the good news. All right? says, we implore, this is verse 20 and 21, says, we implore, we beg someone earnestly or desperately to do something. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So I'm going to close by saying this. Worship team, you can go ahead and head up. If you are here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to implore you to be reconciled with, with Christ. And I can just read it right from the scripture. For your sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Right? So that in him you might become the righteousness of God. I heard a guy say it like this yesterday. Sometimes we think about this and we're like, we, we think that, man, God, thank you for not, um, um, you know, just letting your wrath fall down on me. And the fact of the matter is, God did not make his wrath go away. He poured his wrath on his son, Jesus. The wrath that was stored up for us because of our sin. Because we're sinners. Because we're broken. We are. All of us. And if we don't say that, just like he said, then we're liars. And so, the wrath was put on his son. It was put on Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing, if any of us had a family member that got killed, right, and some of us have, and we've been through that before, if we would go to the court and the judge was like, yo, listen, man, I know you killed them, shot their cousin or whatever the case may be, but I'm going to have mercy on you today. None of us would call that guy a good judge, would we? We wouldn't call him a good judge. We'd say, you're a bad judge. So God is faithful to his word and he is faithful to the law. So the sins, our sins, had to be paid for. We just didn't have to pay for them. But Jesus paid for it dearly. His body was broken and it was bruised on our behalf. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The one who lived a perfect life and knew no sin, he was hit with our sin. And then we were hit with his resume. And it was done for our sakes because of our trespasses, because we have violated God's law. And the, and, 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 the, and the thing that should have happened is he should have squished all of us and he should have flattened us. But he didn't do that. And he's a merciful and good God. And that's why we want his last name. That's why we want to be found in Christ. So if you don't know Christ, it's the best spot on earth to be. It's the best spot on earth to be. I couldn't believe it when I finally gave my life to Christ. But then I was like, man, I wish I would have done this when I was like eight months in my mom's stomach, God save. You know what I mean? It's the best thing ever. Let me, um, just want to tell y'all I love y'all, but if you're not a believer, please consider that. And after the service, you can grab me or Chuck or Matt um, or Big Phil, and, and we'll be glad to pray with you.